All right, John chapter 4, if you'd turn there. John chapter 4, we've been doing this little mini-series on worship. It's entitled Thoughts on Worship. This is part three, and um, I intend for this to be the final part in this series. And let's start reading in verse 14. John chapter 4 and verse 14. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Remember, the context here is dealing with the woman at the well. Before this, they were talking about water. Christ was talking about himself. He tells her enough things that she perceives intellectually that he knows what he's talking about to a certain extent. And she goes on and makes a statement. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say... That in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me. Now he said this because she said, you're a prophet. And he's saying, yeah, believe what I'm saying here. We know he is the prophet. And he says this, the hour is coming when you shall neither worship the father in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is, right now, when true worshipers, again, as we stressed in the reading each time, true worshipers versus as compared to false worshipers, because we know most people worship falsely. And here we're dependent on the prophet to tell us how to worship. And he says, True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth because the Father seeks such. He he seeks those kind of people that worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 24, God is spirit and they who worship him must worship him this way in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one sin of God is coming, this this one. He was called Christ, and when he has come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I am the one speaking to you. Some of you noticed he said, I am. That's one of his names. I am. So far, what we've looked at in this series is we started out looking at and warning about the idolatry and superstition out there that's among religion in general, even under the umbrella of Christianity, even under the umbrella of Sovereign Grace Calvinist Reform groups. And we talked about that superstition and idolatry sometimes are there to a certain extent and they are distractions. And how that we can see blatantly sometimes idolatry where people set up statues, bow down and, you know, this type of thing. That's blatant. And then we know that certain things might creep in that are distractions that are tied to idolatry and superstition, whether it be tradition or doctrines of men. We also talked about how that the word of God 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. The word of God is our standard, how that we judge these things, how that we know about these things, how that we find out about them, how we learn about them and grow in them. And it is our standard in this whole thing of worship. And the word of God regulates how we worship. It's not just something that we can just make up on the fly. The word of God instructs us who it is we worship and how we worship. We showed also two basic things in this text that we battle uh, against and that were spotlighted in the text. It had to do with places of worship and things in connection with worship. That's when we talked about how that things and places can cloud and distract our worship. The lady in the text here was saying, uh, was talking about a place, talking about a, a temple on a certain mountain or a synagogue where, you know, you go over here and what's over here. It was on a place. We talked about the old covenant, how that places and things were involved there. And we know that certain churches, if they have brought things over from Judaism or churches that have come out of Rome, have brought some of those things with them and they're still in place, they're distractions. Traditions of men connected to places and things. So we have to be able to look at those, identify them. And we also talked about certain things that come into our life, our everyday life that distract us from the gospel, whether they be materialism. And we, we gave several examples of things that, uh, that are constantly jockeying for our attention, that we need to put them in their place and continually see what our focus is so that we can worship God rightly. And keep him in priority. We looked at the fact that worship takes place in our minds. This whole thing of worship has to do with it is in our mind where God works and causes us to worship. So the battleground is our minds. We talked about how that the scripture renews our minds. By the power of the Spirit, as we study his word, and as our faith grows, the battle is in our mind. And we primarily are using our mind. We are not run by our emotions, our feelings. And again, this is where mysticism and uh, perhaps superstition would, would fake us out and draw us away. The truth of the word of God is our standard. And that involves our minds soaking up that truth utilizing that truth and the Spirit of God working in us to think rightly about everything, not just worship, but everything. So in this area, ignorance is not our friend. Ignorance is not our friend. Let me read two verses real quick here. Matthew 15, 8 and 9, it says, This people draws near me with their mouth and honors me with their lips. But their heart, or their mind, in other words, is far from me. And notice this, what, what, did, what happened as a result? But in vain they worship me. Which means, the, the word vanity there, it means they're wasting their time. In vain they worship me. And, and why is that? In this case, Christ says, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So we need to be trained through the word of God to be able to identify when we bring something into our mind, whether we hear it 
from no matter who make a judgment using the word of God. Is this a commandment of man or is this a commandment of the scripture? Sometimes uh, traditions and things are so deeply ingrained. We don't we we just they sneak up on us and it might take years to think and find out this is this is just a tradition I brought with me from my former way of thinking that I need to get rid of. And that's what the word of God does. It renews our minds and we're constantly casting off bad ideas as we soak up the truth from the word of God. We mentioned that we worship God as a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We worship the Father through Christ, the mediator, the eternal Son of God, who is God. And by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit indwells in us if we are regenerated. The Spirit of God indwells us, guides us, and teaches us, constantly pointing us to Christ. We established for years here that the Word of God shows us that Christ is central. Christ is preeminent. He is the focus of all of our worship and in the gospel, his person and his work. It is the foundation for everything we do. The gospel of grace, which centers in on Christ. So what we do, what we've talked about for years is we learn and grow in the gospel of grace and everything else that we look at in the scripture. The gospel is the is the foundation, the filter, the funnel that everything else goes through and to. And we judge everything by the gospel. We judge ourselves saved and lost by the gospel. And we judge all doctrines and information that comes to our minds through the word of God and through whatever outside sources as we're hearing things. We judge everything by the gospel of Christ. And we talked about how that we had, we had left off on talking about how that worship, and that's the topic, worship should be incorporated in everyday life. Just use the phrase, worship is, is 24-7. And the idea there is having an attitude toward God in Christ by the Spirit of sanctifying God in our minds. That just simply means setting God apart in our minds. In everything we do, and when we think about ourselves under the authority of God in Christ, walking in the Spirit, we are caused by the information we get from the Word of God as we grow, that we love Him, and the more that we study, the more that we should love Him, the more that we are thankful, and the more that we know about Him, we honor and praise and, and reverence him, reverence his name, reverence his works. And that should cause us to meditate, which is, has to do with our thinking. And we should pray and have communion with God. Scripture says pray without ceasing, which means just we think about him, we meditate about him. We've talked in times past before in reference to prayer. We don't necessarily clock in and out with God. When we were experienced the new birth, we were clocked in and we don't clock out. And we are able to pray when we're walking down the street or driving in the car. We can pray with our eyes open. We can think about God constantly, all the time. 
And the more we immerse ourselves in the means of the word of God, the more that we can think about God and expand our thinking about who we are in Christ and grow in grace. And that is a, uh, that's a gift that keeps giving. We just, the more we know about him, the more we will think about him. And this is done by faith. We're given the gift of faith. The just shall live by faith and the justified, sanctified elect, they walk in the spirit. They have the spirit and they walk in the spirit and they live by faith. Now, this part of the believer, it shows basic evidence. This, this idea of the believer worshiping on their own, separate from this church body, it shows basic evidence of their salvation by whether or not they worship God in the person of Christ by the Spirit. So a person saying that they're saved and they do not worship the only true God of the Bible, they're not a believer. This is, this is so basic. But I don't know if we really think about that much, you know. We, we talk about the gospel and this, that, and the other, and we, we know what the scripture says about what the gospel is and what a person believes. But the first extension out from that, we should just say, we should ask ourselves first, do, do we worship God? Do you worship God? If you don't worship God, you don't know God. People that know God worship God. There's a couple of verses here. We've run to this chapter quite a bit. Let me, there's three. Let me just read. Romans 8 and verse 5. It's connected to that last statement I made about worshiping God. For they who are according to the flesh mind the things of the flesh, but they who are according to the Spirit mind the things of the Spirit. That's verse 5. Now down in verse 8 it says, Then they who are of the flesh cannot please God, But you are not in the flesh. Paul speaking to believers. He says, but you're in the spirit. And the way you know that you're in the spirit is whether or not the spirit of God dwells in you, he says. But if anyone has not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So a believer is one who worships God. A believer is one who is not of the flesh or in the flesh. They have been passed from death unto life. They've been born again. They're in the spirit. And they mind the things of the spirit. Something has changed in their mind. That's what repentance is. God gives a change of mind. And we could talk all day about that. We could talk about false ideas about that too. But a person has the spirit of God now dwelling in them. And that is a serious change. They before were dead in their trespasses and sins. Now they are born of God, born from above. They have the spirit in them. The spirit testifies of Christ. And now they have the mind of Christ. There's another synonym there. And they worship Christ in spirit and truth. They worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the, the Holy Spirit in them causes this to be done. There's, there's no argument there of that. A person that does not have the Spirit of God 
is not a believer. They're not born again. They're still yet dead in their trespasses and sins. So there are some results that come from that. They are considered now uh, a disciple of Christ. God's sheep are disciples. And disciples are those that believe the gospel and they're not done there. They persevere in the gospel. Now there are traditions and commandments of men that will say that they will do certain things for sure. And if you don't do this, you're not saved. We, we talk about that all the time. People try to say uh, your do's and don'ts are the main evidence or assurance of your salvation. I mentioned one, worship God. I don't think anybody that would even be an antinomian would say believers don't worship God. Believers worship God. If you don't worship God, you're not a believer. Now there's opinions and ideas and arguments about what it is to worship God. That's part of the reason I'm bringing the whole series up here. So when we get too bogged down in things that we've talked about for years here already. But we are disciples of Christ. We listen to him and we are disciplined in our minds through the word of God. That is what teaches us. We learn and we grow. And we, as the scripture says, we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that, an extension of that, a, a means of growing, brings us down to what we started talking about last week. We read just a portion. We ran out of time. I thought, well, we'll just make a whole message on this point here concerning because of who we are as, as weak individuals, how that we need the church body as part of the means to strengthen us. And, you know, I, I just blurted out there, weak individuals. I, I think God's people to a certain extent, maybe not all at the same level, realize that individually we are weak. If you know yourself, unless since you've been converted, you, you've stopped sinning and you've always thought perfectly and you've just grown in super abounding leaps and bounds every day, you know you're weak, right? This takes God opening up our eyes and, and causing us to submit to that fact. I mean, if we weren't weak, we wouldn't have come to Christ. We sometimes sing that song, I need thee every hour. You want to adjust that to second, right? I need thee every second. We're weak. I'm weak. And when I, when I talk about our, our gatherings together, if you would ask me detail about how weak I am, you might want to not come to church because you find out how bad I am, not because you've got something to do. <laughs> I'm not necessarily wanting to have that conversation. You should have that conversation in your own minds. And I think you hopefully would agree with me about how bad you guys are. I know how bad I am. So we're a bunch of bad people coming together. We're sinners. Again, unless you've learned how to completely stop sinning. And if you have, I want to make a book deal with you. I'm going to help edit your book and I want to make some money off of it because it would be a, a bestseller if you found that secret. 
course, that's a foolish idea. But we are people who worship the sovereign God. We are needy sinners every week, needy sinners. And, and I think, I would hope that you have experienced personally that you see your needs and your weakness more clearly every week. Now you can be resolved to do certain things or to think a certain way. And you fail time after time after time after time. Well, I'll never do that again. Or you might say you hear somebody did something and they say, man, that person, I can't believe they did that. I wouldn't even think that. <laughs> All right. I hope God gives you some more days so you can see that you'll fail in that and come crawling back to him and say, man, I didn't realize how weak I was. But when we approach God on the day of judgment, he's not going to judge us based on our weakness. He's going to judge us based on the strength of his son. Right? We are accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Christ. The Lord, our righteousness, sits on the right hand of the throne. That is our righteousness. And when we appear at judgment, and not only that, right now, as we are in the world, as he is, so are we in the world. Right now, the Father looks on me and he sees perfection in Christ. Now, the world that we are enemies with has no idea what that is. They can't believe it. They won't believe it. And until God opens up their minds, they can't see it. All the more reason and incentive to meet every week with people that know this. And so you can be reminded of this. Because how many minutes... Not hours, not days. How many minutes you forget that after you walk out that door? Maybe even forget it inside this room. That's how weak we are. So as we soak up the word of God, and not only that, we have to be our weaknesses in our memory. Depending on what I do personally concerning my health or my sleep or what I eat. My memory is in and out. <laughs> My wife probably knows better than anybody. Some of you all might know that we talk about things and I say, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. All I got to do is go and check my email, my Gmail or my Facebook inbox, scan through it, say, oh, yeah, I meant to send so-and-so something. And then that builds and builds and builds. And I think I'm forgetful. So as I pray and study and bring messages, as I preach to remind everybody else in here about certain things, what it does for me, it helps me remember because I'm preaching to myself. I think I'm in on a little secret that I benefit more than anybody from these messages. I don't think anybody can argue with that. I, I do. <laughs> and somebody will um, post a message of mine to somebody else, and, and the other day, for example, I think it was uh, Lordship Salvation Part 4. I, th I don't know how long ago that's been. And I, I, was at, I was at work doing some work and listening at the same time. 
It was like I heard that for the first time. <laughs> I thought that, that information, that content that came from the word of God is edifying to me. Knowing that and knowing that my goals and learning and study, knowing what, what they should be and what they could be, it's, it's like I'm, I just see my weakness all over again. I think that the, the depth of the word of God is so deep and there's so much more I want to know and learn. And I was talking to uh, Brian out in the hallway about sort of that and mentioned that we are, we are, not, we are not individually islands. We're not an island unto ourselves. We need other believers to aid us. And if it weren't for people that knew the word of God better than me or more than me, I wouldn't be up here right now. So I kind of, God has given me enough wisdom to know that there's a shortcut. You go talk to people that are smarter than you and wiser than you, and you ask them questions. And as the questions are answered, and, and as, you, as questions are answered sometimes just by the word of God without other people, our minds are renewed and they're expanded and we grow. And what are we to do with that? I'm going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to tell anybody else. I don't want anybody smarter than me around me, right? Because you got to be the go-to person, right? No. It's ridiculous. You tell other people about it. Hopefully because you're, re you're ready to explode because you love it so much and you want other people to know about it. And you spread the truth. You spread the fame of your Christ that you're worshiping. You don't treat people like they're idiots. They're idiots out there. And spiritually speaking, we were, we were idiots. We were dumb. We were dead. We were ignorant. But don't you want people to know what you know about this Christ that we worship? If you don't, you might want to check your attitude. But the assembly of this, this local body, we had mentioned that there's a, there is a special presence of God when the body comes together. If you take the overall scriptures, it tells us this. It talks about this is why the command to come together as a body, because a body is one body with individual pieces. I've talked with people that have had um, different health issues diabetes, different things like that, where certain things happen with their circulation. And they, a guy that trained me at work, he, he had that and he, he lost a toe. Then he lost his foot. Then he lost below his knee. Then he lost his leg. Yeah. And, and I, my eyes might water up if I stumped my toe real good. I would hate to lose my toe. The church body is made up of individual members. And all the individual members are vital and they're needed and they're part of the whole. And as you learn things about your body, you know, we learn about our, our heart, how we need our heart. And then, you know, we think that's important until maybe you get a kidney stone. And you think, oh, I see how important the kidneys are. Or there's a liver problem. The liver doesn't get much fame. 
do you hear, you look at what does the liver do? And you read about what the liver does. I had no idea. I can't live without that thing. You look at what the pancreas does and you just look at all these different body parts and you see, you conclude they're, they're all important. I know how important the eyes are. I mean, I lost a serious part of my vision in my left eye back in the 90s. And I can approach people that start to have eye problems and I can help them out about different information. And when people don't know about eye problems, they just don't know, I guess, until they have a problem. I mean, I've got a serious problem in, in one eye that you don't really know about unless you've read about it or experienced it. And we know that about other people with different other issues. I've talked to different pastors with other body problems, church body problems. I've helped them out in conversations. They've helped me out. We've gone through different experiences in this local church body. Some of us have been here long enough, have seen different problems come and go. People come and go. Bottom line is, people that are believers, that claim to be believers and worship on their own, if they don't worship on their own, they don't have the Spirit of God. They see the, the vital importance of worshiping together as a body. And worshiping as a body in a local assembly shows outwardly who you identify with. Some of you in here, I baptized. And part of the idea about baptism, we talked about identity. You're identifying with Christ, your new Savior. You're identifying not only with Christ, but with the local body that is not ashamed of the gospel. That's part of it. It's a whole idea. I mean, you could look at so many facets of worship. Are you ashamed of the gospel? You can give lip service to the gospel. But when somebody asks you about the gospel, you can, what are you going to do? Are you going to present the gospel? Or are you going to tweak it? Are you going to sweep it under the carpet? Are you going to trim off the rough edges? So locally, what church, whatever we're talking about, what gospel are you going to identify with? Are you going to go to a church that preaches a false gospel? Does it matter? Well, if you're a member here, you know it matters. We talk about it all the time. I've been talking with people for years and a lot here lately over the last few weeks about attending here and trying to compare what's going on at their church to what's going on here in reference to the body of doctrine we hold to mainly and whether or not it matters. Do you think um, a healthy diet is good for the body? Well, we know it is. We've probably experienced it personally when we don't eat right, how we feel. Church body. Does it matter what food is being dealt out in the church body? And again, it's not just a, one person up here standing dealing out the food. It's the ones that are in the congregation that are united with one another in that same doctrine, that same food, in other words. And we know we, we had read last week the explicit command of the new covenant that talks about forsaking not the assembly of ourselves together, gathering together, 
And we talked about the importance of because of the days are dark, an evil man shall wax worse and worse, deceiving one another and being deceived. There'll come a time when men shall not endure sound doctrine, but they'll be tossed to and fro. Some of you know people that claim to believe close to what we believe that are being deceived right now. And they're going to other churches that are deceiving them right now, right this very hour. We know other people that are tossed to and fro every wind of doctrine. You talk to them next week, they're talking about some other new stupid issue that doesn't even matter. They're distracted. Uh, Calvin had a birthday party Friday, and I was talking to a young man there, and he's an atheist. I've talked to him before. And he said, I'm going to a Presbyterian church locally. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, um, Gave him just a little bit of history. I said, you founded the Presbyterian Church? John Calvin. I said, who I named Calvin after. Back in 1991, 27 years ago. Friday. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm just, he's trying to quit drinking. Because he's got a drinking problem. So I just want to hang around some mature adults and I look for a girlfriend and both those things are there. I said, yeah, well, what are they telling you? What are they talking about there? He told me a couple of little cute stories about what they were talking about. And, you know, each time I see him, I'm going to try to give him some, some gospel I had before, but I don't know how sober he was when I gave him the gospel before. But, a lot of churches, I told him, I said, a lot of churches around, they're just going to give you a bunch of little cute stories. They're not going to press on the gospel. They're, gonna, they're not going to make distinctions of, of who this God is as compared to the smorgasbord, the buffet of the other gods that you want to choose from and form your own out of your imagination. So much more as you see the day approaching, the rest of that verse says. As I said last week, I said next week will be more important than last week meeting. And I'll say it this week. Next week will be more important than this week meeting. Because the days are evil. So these, these saints that uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking to, encouraging them to assemble together because of really personal reasons. They came out of the old covenant and the warning is don't go back into this system that is leaning on the arm of the flesh. And even though we're not in the same situation, nobody really here came out of the old covenant. I know some of you were law people leaning on the arm of the flesh, trying to keep the law in your false religion. But the idea is the whole thing is, is, is the same for us. We, we leaned on conditions. We leaned on works. We leaned on our righteousness. And the idea is still the same today as it is right here in Hebrews 10.25. The reason to get together is to get together, encourage one another into love and good works and to hear the gospel and be reminded of the gospel and be a part of the body. Not a part, separate, but a part of the body because the body has parts. And part of that is... To worship him together. 
So we do that by assembling. We sing in our worship. We have public prayer. We have the reading of the word of God. We have preaching and teaching. We have the love of the brethren. We are, we are knit together in love, the scripture says. We give. We edify. We forbear and forgive one another. We uh, just do all these things. We have gospel fellowship. And if you know anything about yourself and what the scripture says, you know that you need gospel fellowship to be strengthened in the gospel and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church is a unit. It is a body. And it is to function. We've talked about this before. In, in worship, edification, evangelism, and a defense of the faith. Those are the four main functions we have talked about. And in that, there's a, there's a discipleship involved. There's a, there's a discipline uh, or a growing and a learning going on constantly that never stops. That goes in that direction of all those goals together as we have that goal. And as I said before, the whole body is a part of the ministry. And the word ministry, I know it's glamorous to hear that word. And then when you talk about the definition of it, it gets a little bit less glamorous. It's service. That's what the body does, serves. So is everybody on the same page so far? We come to Christ, wicked, evil sinners in need of a complete salvation we, we don't want a 99 percent salvation we don't want a 50 50 we don't want god did his part and we do the rest we come in with the knowledge of being a part of this body that he is in total fully sovereign control his standard is too high for us to meet christ completely met the, met the standard our completeness is in him. Everything about salvation is in him. And we realize our weakness. And we have to be reminded of that point every week from a bunch of different angles. And we do it once we have that in place. We grow in maturity realizing that this is not going to work unless we approach each other in love and humility. I've got no Superman on my chest, and I don't think anybody in here does either. And we don't have the attitude of anybody's better than anybody else, and that uh, we are to think highly of ourselves more than we ought to, look down on somebody else for something. And there are just times when I just think, you know, I have to gather up all these things all at once and say, are we all on the same page? Are we all together in this whole idea of the gospel of Christ and the function of the church? Got to be reminded. Got to be asked all the time. We've got to ask ourselves. We've got to ask each other. Christ went on in the text and he said, The woman said unto him, I know Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. Now, this was, she was talking to the Christ, didn't know it, right? And she knew this about him, that he will tell us all things. 
start to see some character attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. He's all-knowing. He is the master teacher. He is the prophet. He is the truth walking in the flesh. He's the one by whom it says in John 1.14, by him came grace and truth. Here he is. He's the one that Peter said uh, shortly uh, after this, a couple chapters later, when the, he was Christ was preaching his sovereignty. The people went away and Christ said to the disciples, are you guys going to leave too? Are you going to go away? And Peter rightly said, where are we going to go? <laughs> you are the only one that speaks the truth and has the words of life. You're the fountain of it all. Where are we going to go? Now, by extension, I'm going to say this about our church. I'm constantly, I said this last week, maybe the week before, maybe all, all three weeks, I'm constantly looking for churches and pastors and people that say what we say about this gospel. It's hard. They're hard to find. But for 30 some years, I've been turning over rocks. And I've talked to some of you that have been trying to do the same thing. And every now and then we'll we'll find some people that and they sometimes they're not locally. Sometimes it's a group on the Internet or something. And you'll you'll get into it. You'll find out. No, they're not. They're not saying the same thing. Surely they're not saying no. Sometimes you'll find, and they might be too far to deal with, too far to comfortably drive to see. And when you find those people, and they've found a lot on the internet, it's like, uh, it's a very exciting time to find these people, but they're usually disjointed. As far as they're, they're, they're not easily accessible. Some of them watch this, you know, live stream Facebook. It, you know, it's just, I was thinking this week, it's just so, um, you hear it a lot when you talk with people, even people you think know the gospel. They say so quickly, yeah, this um, so-and-so uh, at work, He's a Christian. And a lot of times it's like, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, and I've, I've worked with a lot of people and talked with a lot of people um, about the gospel. And uh, me and Dan used to work together. And, um, and I think it was a couple years maybe. And we, we talked to a lot of people there about the gospel and got into some very lengthy, deep conversations about the gospel. And it doesn't take long for people to say with their mouth what comes out of their heart. And, um, but at first, uh, you start to hear a little something that sounds familiar. And you say, this might be one, you know, this might be one. And then shortly, no, no. 
But you just keep looking. You keep going. And those those that say things that don't line up with the gospel, you try to give them the gospel in hopes that they will come to Christ through the gospel. But it's it's a desert out there. There's a famine out there of the gospel. Very few. The scripture talks about few will be saved. The disciples were being discipled in that idea. We read in the Gospels where a couple points in time, the disciples said to Christ, because they were looking at somebody outwardly that were moral or whatever, who were really go-getters maybe in promoting morality or whatever, and they were temporarily fooled that these people were saved and then they were scratching their heads when Christ straightened the thing out with, with grace and the gospel and truth. And they were surprised. You mean they're not saved? And it's like, who then can be? Are there few that be saved? Christ said, with man it's impossible. See, that's what we talk about every week. With man it is impossible. The gospel of grace must explode our self-righteous ideas that are part of us. You know, people that are entrenched in the most degraded debauchery. I'm, I'm speaking comparatively. Don't blow those people off. Give them the gospel. Because it is... Just as easy for God to save them. And only people maybe in this group will understand when I say it might be more likely <laughs> than saving some self-righteous one that's steeped in their self-righteousness. Because the one that's steeped in self-righteousness, I'm only speaking humanly here, trying to use human terms. God can save anybody. He's going to save all his elect. Rob read it a second ago. But humanly speaking, we should not pass up the one that is in addiction and debauchery because self-righteousness is the most debauchery and addiction you can come across. Self-righteousness is the biggest addiction problem throughout history. To change one's mind about his own acceptance before God is an impossibility unless God does it. Somebody that's that's on, say, heroin. I know heroin's a big problem nowadays. Somebody that's on heroin at least is not going to say when they get to judgment, but Lord, Lord, didn't I shoot up heroin? That's ridiculous. And the person that's on heroin knows that. But the one that is going about to establish the righteousness of their own is going to say that at judgment. That's their heroin, and it's stronger than shooting up. Verse 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the one speaking to you. He said a, he said a mouthful there. He's pretty much limiting and, and discounting everything else, he says, I'm the only one. I'm the exclusive one. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am that one. 
that was sent from God, that is the root and the fountain, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end of all truth. Anything true is from me. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm the resurrection. I am everything. You're talking to him right now. That's what she's saying. She's hearing him say. So when we see that, we bring it personal and we ask that question. So what is the difference between those who worship the true God and worship something else? I mean, that, that question becomes elementary at this point, doesn't it? What's well, all the difference in the world? Because some want to back up and say, well, it's God's not that harsh. He'll accept your sincerity. And then sincerity becomes higher than the truth. It's all about salvation conditioned on sincerity. That type of sincerity is sin. That's all it is. It's just another form of sin. Believing a lie is sin. Doesn't matter how zealous you are about it, how deceived you are about it. Deception is not believing the truth. Uh, some of us know people that are involved in cults or they're steeped in tradition of some forms of Christianity. And they were raised in it from the first day they were born. And they're sincere as can be. They are fooled. They are deceived. Uh, and you might love them and care about them. And I hope you do. But they believe a lie. There's only one truth. It came from this one speaking here. I am the one speaking to you. No exceptions. You don't go beyond me. I'm the one. Some people out there might say, well, wow, God, he's a, God's an egomaniac. That's saying, I hate God. I hate God. That's what's being said. I can't stand this one that would demand him being worshipped and nobody else. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt not have any other graven image that tries to make an attempt to get started to make an image of me. Uh, don't use my name in vain. Because my name is separate from all other gods. It's important. What's this talking about? This is language of worship. This is language of honor, praise, seeing his worthiness, showing him reverence. This thing of worship is the most serious thing in life. The question came up in the New Testament when Christ was dealing with people. And um, he said, what, what think ye of Christ? Well, this woman knew something about the Christ that was to come, and she said something about him. He's going to be the one that's going to tell us all things. And she knew that he was going to be some other things that were important, that were kind of seemed to be over and above the general person. So this is our this is our dilemma. We're dealing in this world. This world is a mess. They just believe a bunch of lies, and we have to we have this this gift that's really a burden to us that we have to spread this message knowing ahead of time that hardly anybody's going to believe it and people are going to mock you atheists are going to say you guys get together every week to uh, worship a god you can't even see All right what are you going to say about that you got to say something you got to be prepared to say something and as a result you worship a God you can't see. 
Most people think that's stupid, right? What are you going to say? If I put that in your mind and cause you to doubt and you go out here and never come back again, you know what? God gave me that to tell you. You're here every week to have your minds challenged for your faith to be strengthened. Scripture says to be prepared to give an answer of the hope, the great, ex the, the confident expectation that dwells within you. Part of the function of the church is defending the faith. If you don't know why you believe in what you believe, why are you believing it? So there's a great, a vast difference between those who worship this God and who worship other whatever else is left. And when we are introduced to this God and we have our eyes opened and it says that the faith that God works in us, works in us in such a way with the same power that it took to raise Christ from the dead, do you think there will be a change in your mind after that point? If you say no, then you don't know what you're talking about. Do you think a change in your mind will affect anything you do from there on out? In your priorities? In the way that you think from then on out? After that, I mean, it's each individual is different. It will in the elect. Not at the same rate. That's not the point where we say, okay, let's start looking at each other and seeing if you're doing good enough. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about answer that question in your own mind. If God has given you faith and worked in you the same power that it took to raise Christ from the dead, he will, he, he did change your mind about who you are, about who God is, about what Christ did. That will affect the way you think the rest of your life. And the more you dig in the word of God, the more you see that there is this treasure of Christ there and I have access to it. But I just... You know, depending on what you're going to do with those means, it's going to affect your spiritual life. If you just want to shut that treasure chest and just put it over here and let's cover it up with a bunch of stuff and I got my fire insurance. Well, you're going to be miserable and hopefully you're miserable a lot until you're reminded, maybe I better get in this treasure chest. If you don't ever get in that treasure chest, it might be some way of God showing you, maybe I don't know Christ. Again, I'm not talking about doing things to assure yourself your salvation. If you've got the Spirit of God in you, you believe the truth, God has changed your mind. And if you want to grow, the means of growth is the Word of God, and it's all these other things that we talk about, prayer, fellowship, uh, I was talking to Brian out in the hall, um, people talking about heaven or hell. <laughs> there's other things people talk about, miracles, heaven and hell, different things, people that are inquisitive about. And um, when compared to the things that we've talked about here today, you know what? I don't care. I really don't care. People will ask me about what's hell going to be. Like. You know, I don't care. I'll tell you about the gospel. Do you care about the gospel? You don't want to hear the gospel. Well, you might be going to that place you're wondering about. Well, what about heaven? I don't care. If I think about Christ, I'm in heaven. Walking by faith in the spirit is like heaven on earth. 
don't distract me with goofy little ideas you have about what heaven's going to be like. Because I don't want to hear them. Because 99.9% .9 of them are wrong. Do you think we're going to be able to fly around in heaven? <laughs> Anybody got any questions or comments? Now, you know, I just barely, we just barely scratched this topic, just barely. Um, there's, there's always more to be said about everything. Now, almost absolutely, almost, I don't know if saying almost and absolutely in the same sentence makes sense, but pretty sure next week we're going to start the series on election. And the more I think about the series, the bigger it gets. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. I have a list of things I'm going to hit on. I might put a lot of those out maybe on a church page. And I know there's some things that I forgot. And as I go along, I guarantee it, just like whenever I teach on anything else. When I get three quarters of the way through, I think, ah, oh, I should have brought that part up earlier. This is why I need you guys to... Um, after I give my list, if you see something that is um, connected, I'll connect it in there. Now, I did this series called Chosen in Christ, I think back in 2007. Uh, very few of you were here. It was recorded on a cassette. There were question and answers. You couldn't hear the questions. And the cassette, you flipped it over after 45 minutes which meant some of the message was gone. Everything about it was poor quality. So this is why it's over 10 years ago. So this is why I'm going to redo it and expand on it. And um, <clears throat> I would hope to say I've learned some things since then. But I'm really, really looking forward to that. You'll see that the doctrine of unconditional election by our sovereign God is not just some isolated thing that's unrelated to anything. It's it's not just this doctrine. Well, that's that dusty old doctrine that we pull out every now and then. It, it's connected to so many things. You know, it's just this morning I was watching a, a, a video on Facebook and they were talking about evangelism. And I just thought there's, there's one more thing there that election is connected to. It has to do, it's connected to evangelism. You cannot break the idea of election from those we're preaching to. Times that, times a hundred. It's, there's a lot of connectors. So I, I expect some participation as we go along, some questions to develop because as questions come from week to week, I can incorporate them in more detailed answers in the, the weeks after. And I'm sure, uh, hopefully, people from Sermon Audio and uh, Facebook will give me questions ahead of time to make sure that I, I cover everything because there is a lot of rocks to turn over. You know, Scott, something you touched on in your sermon was about the, the heroin addict and how that uh, we're even supposed to give the gospel to them. You know, when you see the, uh, the term hyper-Calvinism, a lot of people associate that, that you know, they believe that we're only supposed to preach to the elect. Also, I don't see a sign on anybody's forehead that says, right. I'm elect, preach to me, so uh, yeah. how are we supposed to know? Yeah. I mean, it's, 
Right. Yeah, there are, uh, yeah, we don't know who the elect are. And um, I mean, I used to be, uh, I was hooked on different things here and there in, in life in reference to medical issues, which I got off of pretty quick. But I, I see my tendency of, of what addiction is. And, um, and I have sympathy and compassion for people with those problems because I was in a short span of period of time had a craving and I know some other people in this group had some of the same issues. So we have sympathy for those people.